Our guest today is a guitarist and composer known for his solo work, as well as his work with bands like Porcupine Tree, Marillion, and Sound of Contact. I'd like to welcome John Wesley to the show. John, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, we were chatting a little bit before, but uh, I didn't realize that you were based out of Florida, and I saw you on the Prague cruise. So what, what brought you on the cruise? I know you, you didn't get a chance to perform. Is that right? It was kind of a late thing. You know, the album is only, actually isn't even out yet. The buzz about the record hadn't really gotten to Portnoy and those guys yet. Right. And at the very end of you know, the label that I'm on, Inside Out, you know, was a big sponsor of the cruise. And uh, we'd actually tried to fit me in uh, the band into a slot. And, uh, you know, Mike just said, we've got three, six bands. Uh, it's a little late. We can't get you on, but why don't you just come on and hang? And so they got me a, you know, a cabin and I went on and, and met a lot of people and saw a lot of great bands and had a great time. How how great was that was that event, though? I mean, the shows and everything, was it was pretty amazing. It was amazing, and I just hope they get to do it again. That was just fantastic. Right? Yeah, definitely. Hopefully they'll do it again, and hopefully they'll do it out of Florida again. That'll be so. Yeah. So, have you always been based out of Tampa? I actually got the impression from all the all your work, you were British, like all the bands you work with. Sure. Um, you know, honestly, I have always been based out of Tampa. I spent a little time in LA and uh, came back to Tampa. But uh, the reason I I kind of hooked up with all the British bands was it's kind of a fluke. A friend of mine, who is actually now the sound engineer for Justin Timberlake, was in between gigs in the early 90s, and it was uh, at a point for me when I had, uh, the band I had been with for many years had disintegrated, and I was going solo for the first time, and, uh, you know, it was a real down point financially, and I was raising a, raising a daughter, I needed some cash, and uh, this friend of mine who was also in between gigs, like, here. <laughs> Through a management company that worked with said, you know, there's a band coming to the States and they need a drum tech and a guitar tech. Um, he goes, I can set up drums. <laughs> um, can you guitar tech? And I said, well, I never have. You know, I play guitar, so I guess I can figure it out. Right. I can use the cash. And, and that band was Marillion. Ah. And to make a long story short, we went up and started working with them. And within a few shows, had just really become great friends with them. And they needed a support act one of the nights, and uh, I went out and did a solo on acoustic guitar and ended up doing probably well over 350 shows with them as a support act over the next six or seven years. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Had you released some solo records, or did those come after? Actually, how'd you get started with your solo career? Let, let's start there. Well, um, I had had a band all through the 80s called Auto Drive, and it was kind of an 80s thing, and I did most of the writing for it, most of the show writing come in kind of unfortunately edify it <laughs> but uh, because I had you know had a lot of hard leanings at the time I was listening to a lot of Pink Floyd yes and Kate Bush was a big one for me and uh, you know right. so we kind of come at it with that angle and it ended up kind of going a bit unfortunately 80, 80 style and um, we were trying to do the Peter Gabriel thing a little bit but it didn't really happen <laughs> And when that crashed and burned, um, you know, I, I just kept writing songs, and uh, I needed to make a living, so I started singing, you know, because back then I was just guitar guitar player. I would write all the lyrics, and another singer would sing it. Right. And so I started singing myself, and just, uh, I got out there doing six nights a week, six nights a week of, of club gigs, solo acoustic, and started uh, working on my voice, and uh, pretty soon it developed. And then when I hooked up with the Marillion guys, I had done some demo recording, and then Mark Kelly really liked it. So uh, through another guy, we got 
record deal through a French company called Arcade CNR. And then actually it was one of the first uh, Racket Records releases of uh, when Marillion started Racket Records in 94. That was one of the very first. And it was so successful on the Brave Tour. We sold almost 4,000 copies on the Brave Tour. Um, that, you know, they decided that going and it kind of launched my solo thing for me. That's cool. So along that time, I guess, how do you end up becoming sort of a, a, the go-to touring guitarist in, in the Prague community? I had worked with a producer, the Marillion guys, on, on a record. And, um, you know, uh, I was primarily a guitar player all through the 80s, you know, with, with a singing, with no singing capability. And then when I developed both, uh, Fish, the former lead singer from Marillion, was looking for a guitarist. And uh, this this producer recommended me, and I uh, went to work for Fish, and uh, he was just he thought it was great. You know, so we had a great time. And then we got times when I met Steve Wilson, who saw me playing his parts because you know he played guitar on a couple of Fish records and produced one, and he really liked the way I, I interpreted his parts. So we became friends, and when they got signed to Atlanta, he needed uh, another player and came to me. Oh, that's great. I saw one of the early Porcupine Tree shows in Florida when you guys you guys played in Tampa, yep. uh, for in in Absentia tour. I think it yep. was. It used to be called the Rub. I forget what it's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I made a special trip up for that because it's about four hour drive for me. And yep. Funny. Oh, I, I just to backtrack, I discovered Porcupine Tree actually about two weeks prior to that show. That's how, that's how funny the whole thing was. I had a friend show me them because he knew I liked this kind of music. And I was blown away by it. And coincidentally, I found out about the gig. So I'm like, yeah, let's just let's just go see these guys. And that was, I bought all the records that, that were there yeah. at, at, the, uh, at the merch desk. I'm like, because you can't find those things anywhere. I think that was before like no. iTunes. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that's amazing. That's kind of how it all got started. Yeah. And everything I've done since then has kind of been based out. It's, I haven't done a whole lot of gigs because the gigs I did, I kept, you know. I, mean, I, I did three with Fish and literally finished Fish in December. And by February, I was doing some recording for Steve. And by July, we were on tour. So Wow. That must have been a crazy time. I, I was always wondering about, you might have a good perspective of it, actually, mm-hmm. seeing the growth of... Porcupine Tree and Stephen Wilson's career sort of you were right there when you know that club in Tampa was like a really small place yeah we had a few hundred that night but small compared to what it became yeah yeah sure. no for sure people will even even tell you this is that you know in that era we were signed to Atlantic and Atlantic had a big budget to push with and so where we channeled all of that money um, was into touring you know so we could get out there with a big production and a bus and, and, and all our gear and, you know, eventually the projections and lose money and get out there and tour, and tour heavily, you know. And um, it really helped the growth, whereas now labels aren't throwing big money at touring anymore. So in those initial phases, you know, you have to tour really tight and small sure. or, you know. So we were one of the last, believe it or not, of, of those acts you know, to really get that big push, you know, us and Opeth and a couple other things. And then, you know, a big breakthrough for us uh, in gaining another marketplace was doing a tour with Opeth to where a lot of the middle kids who had, you know, other listings kind of blinged on to us as well. 
Right. And so, you know, um, that was a, a big breaker for us, you know. Um, and then the music business was changing, and it changed hard, but we had already had that push. And uh, then the other side of it is, it's, and, the, and the guys were just making quality music. And if you came to the show, it was a quality show, and, and it was great stuff. And so people, when they hear something they like, they'll spread the word, you know. Yeah, it was interesting. Around that time, I always... I was sort of from that prog side, but I came to find that a lot of friends of mine that weren't into necessarily the Dream Theaters and the, the Genesis and stuff knew about Porcupine Tree and were into them, and they sort mm-hmm. of kind of bridged that gap a little bit, which which was really cool. Yeah, it, it was really cool. I mean, accidentally, kind of, Steve and I kind of connected one night through the Rush connection. We were watching a, a video, and obviously Alex eventually played on a record for the band and actually played a money record right. um, but uh, you know there's that rush heavy guitar instrumental side and one night we're watching this video and both of us are like oh my god we're both like really connected to this and this had been a huge part of our formation so you know there was this heavy guitar element to Porcupine Tree that was coming out that you know I hate to say it but we have to give credit to uh, Alex Lyson for that you know right. kind of, kind of a, it was kind of a weird subconscious thing that you know was happening and we didn't even realize it you know right yeah the, yeah the album sort of got more guitar driven as as they went along that's that's true yep yep um during the time when you're doing all the the touring with uh with porcupine tree and 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 other stuff uh you took a little bit of a break i guess the last few years from some solo time right yeah i did yeah so what now drove you to to get back to it and, and put a record out well, you know, I hadn't actually gotten away from it. I mean, it, it was my intention as soon as I had finished Occupying Truth. I went back to work on the solo record and then uh, got interrupted a bit when I went out and did uh, the Steve Wilson uh, so first U.S. solo tour with him. And then after that, um, life got in the way, you know? <laughs> right. and, uh, my wife and I had a baby, and at the same time, my mother got ill. And literally, within a one, I had a six-week-old premature son and three days later my mother died so those kind of things and those kind of life changes as much as you really want to get back into hardcore into creating sometimes you just have to make a living and deal with your life and and right around the time the sound of contact thing coming up i was making inroads to get my solo thing going again i mean i was working on i was recording it and then I got the call to sound a contact. Right. And that was immediately an immense amount of work. You know, they'd waited till the last minute to call me. And I had two weeks to learn just an immense amount of material. Then that took four weeks to rehearse. And then it was, you know, so it literally took out a whole, you know, semester of my life, you know, doing that. And then at the end of that European tour, um, I'd realized that to be true to myself, I had to get my record finished and so once I left the sound of contact thing at the end of the European tour I just focused 100% on the road you know, so right. sometimes life does get in the way but it's also those things about life that you know they they make for a more quality record because if you can kind of share those aspects and elements and, and all those things into the lyrics of the record it's just nice you know. so, yeah so so this album is really guitar driven uh, a lot of uh, extended guitar solos, songs like uh, Any Old Saint and stuff, sort of yep. 
really a good, they they have a little bit of of a prog element there. I know I know historically your solo records aren't the same as you know the porcupine tree sort of sound. So no. so you know was that sort of the influence of of that genre a little bit kind of creeping in, or did you want to make a real sort of guitar record on this this one? You know, there's a little kind of obviously a little bit of the element of the porcupine tree stuff. Uh, yeah. All right, I've got a <laughs> bit of a vicious dog here, and she's uh, she's heard something outside, so you be quiet, there, girl. So anyway, um, I got caught up in a lot of uh, playing for other people, and you know, I'm really focused on the guitar as an instrument. I mean, it's what I love to do, even more than the singing. The singing thing really developed, and it's what a lot of people I've really connected with, you know, because I've been a, a lyric writer. So there were those two sides. Yeah, back in the early days when I was playing in the band I wasn't able to sing what I was writing and so I found myself at night on the gigs when I was soloing that things and melodies I was hearing in my head as possible vocal ideas were coming out in my guitar playing hmm. and so I'd been through this period I developed a lot of chops and was trying to do the shred thing because everyone else was doing it and in my head what I was hearing were more things that a singer would sing than a guitar player would shred over and those two elements, my ability to have some chops and what I was hearing in my head as a vocalist kind of crept into my guitar playing. And so through the years and years of Porcupine Tree, I just connected more with the guitar and more with the guitar. And in this last period of writing, I experimented everything. Steve experiments, you know, he's a very gifted programmer and, uh, you know, the sounds and everything. So I, I tried some keyboard things. I tried to have like, man, you know, it's just all about the guitar for me. Yeah. So... You know, I went back to my roots, you know, the Rush thing, the Cream, you know, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, David Gilmore, and I realized that it was all about guitar. And so that's kind of where this record gets its guitar-driven elements. And the solos, you know, they're not solos for the sake of being like, I needed to get out there and shred a solo. They are actual extensions of the lyrical concepts I was trying to convey. It's this thing that happens in my head, you know, that the lyrics stop but the melodies and the ideas don't, and I feel a desperate urge to carry them alone on the guitar. And so that's kind of where all that came out of. You know, the guitar solos are an actual extension I would would have sung. I think that really comes across, actually, because as you listen to the song, it just continues to sort of go on, and it's not. it, it doesn't come off as this uh, this long guitar solo that is going nowhere. I, I got that from the songs, actually, what you're saying. That's interesting. That's great. That's a connection I hope people will make. Because yeah. there are people that just dismiss guitar solos as exercises in, you know, show off, you know, exercises in linking, I don't know. You know. But for me, it really, it, it's just an extension. You know, it's like I have more to say, but I, I'm not going to say it with words. Right, you don't need to so go I'm, back to the chorus one more time for, you know. Yeah. That, that's also, exactly. a, that's sort of, ironically, another forceful songwriting thing that, you know, tends to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a common common thing. But yep. you know, why not change it up and do something like you're saying, which I, I agree. And, and, and I, you know, and I feel that, like the kind of people that listen to Porcupine Tree and that, you know, and Rush and... And, you know, even when I was with Fish, Fish used to let me do it. Fish clocked onto that really early when him and I were writing a record together. And live, he would just, if he felt like I was on one, um, you know, he would just literally lean over and go, take it another round, laddie, and just let me go, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, there's a lot of super shredders out there that said, well, you know, you're not, 
you're not doing anything, you know, amazing. You're not doing anything, you know, you know, cosmic seller that no one else in the world can do. You know, like eight finger tapping with eight string guitars and all that kind of right. stuff. You know, I and I would, my argument to this is no. I'm. It's just pure expression. You know, right. I've got some chops. I've got a lot of chops. But what you're getting is chop driven. It's expression driven. Right. That's funny you're saying about the eight finger tapping because I felt like that was the thing that I noticed the most on the cruise was that all, yeah, of, a sudden, of, that. all of a sudden everyone was eight finger tapping. Like, like everybody. There was a lot of notes on that. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. So uh, actually getting back to the rusting. So Alex Lifeson plays on Once a Warrior. Is that That's the track, yes. right? Uh, how did that happen? How did you, you work that out? Well, you know, through the years, we've become friends, and, uh, you know, I would go on a ride with Neil on motorcycles from time to time, and, you know, I was not going to a show and hanging out, and, you know, and Alex and I just immediately struck up a friendship the first time we met. And, um, you know, so we were sitting around talking, eating something, and, and, and he said, what do you have to do these days? So I'm about to finish a solo record. This was in August. I'd run into him. And a couple of years before, he had mentioned, he said, you know, if you're ever doing anything, maybe we should do something. And I was like, oh, Okay. And, but I had never really, you know, had the guts to ask him, you know, I, I can't, I'm not a big asker. So, right. sure enough, we're standing around, he's like, so you're finishing a record. I said, yeah. He goes, well, if, you know, if you got anything left, uh, you know, I could, I could throw something on there. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how that came about. And, um, what I did was, uh, I had that track that I hadn't done the solo on and I sent it to him. And he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I played it for a few friends of mine that are Rush fans, like I am, and they're like, "This is, this is one of this is classic Alex." You know, this is a real deal. You know, right? You send him the file, and he sends it back, yep. like a couple of takes, or just the one, or no, he sent it. It was the one. You know, he said he'd gone through it a few times and put some elements together, and pretty much used a lot of out of it. A lot of that was out of his first take. Yeah. Because yeah, Alex is a big first take guy, right? And, uh, you know, yeah, and that's a that's a, one of the killer songs on the album too, for sure. Thank you, thank you. And, and so now you go and you make a video as sort of a front man, uh, right? Singing and everything. How was how was making a video, which doesn't happen a lot these days for you know rock bands anymore. So had had that come together? What was what was doing the video like? It was very strange for me because <laughs> you know I'm used to being I'm used to being a side man, right? And, uh, you know, I front bands a lot here in Tampa, but it's a different thing, you know? And uh, so it was very different. The record company was like, John, we need a video. And I was like, great, well, let's just get a bunch of actors, because I don't act, and I play, you know? Right. I shouldn't let them do it, and then just show a few clips of the band. And then once the record company got the video, they were like, look, you got to re-edit this thing. We really want to see clips of you and the band playing. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know... That's kind of where that came out of. I mean, the record company was like, look, we really would like to see you doing what you do. I said, okay. So <laughs> that's, hey. that's how that happened. Hey, listen, right, promotion from the label. That's, you know, you take yeah, it you they've can get been it. extremely supportive and, and actually brought out, a, I mean, obviously, you know, in the order of the album some of the tracks i had pushed later in the record because i was fearful that people wouldn't connect with them but again you know the one with the two-minute guitar solo any old saint um I, and you know alex's two-minute guitar solo I, I had later in the record but when we got in there they're like look john these are the things that we're connecting to 
can we switch the order of the record a bit to really get these things in the forefront? Mm-hmm. And there were things I was shy of, you know, and uh, once we re-kind of configured the order to bring in those elements that I was being shy of, the record just had a, a much better flow. So, yeah, the record company has really, really been very good in the art, from the artistic sense, in saying, these are the elements that shine. These are the elements that we want we want to you know, show. So, extremely supportive. Yeah, that's really great. Um, as far as touring, are you, uh, you have dates planned, and, and what's the band going to be like uh, for, that you're taking on the road? The band is the band in the video, um, the, the girl Jerry, uh, she has her own career. Her name is Jerry X. And she's a, a fabulous singer, songwriter. She has her own career and will only be able to do certain things with us. But the rest of the guys in the video are the band and the band's rehearsed. Um, we're going to be using Sean Malone, the bass player from Cynic, wow, cool. uh, quite a bit as, um, Patrick, uh, is a well-known bass player. He flies back and forth to England to, to do a lot of jazz work and stuff like that so he won't be able to do everything with us but when he can't do that Sean Malone from Cynic will be doing it with us and uh, the dates are finally coming together right now you know it's hard for me as a solo artist to start over again you know it's not like we're you know I can walk into the the, the porcupine tree and get things booked so it's going to happen slowly it's going to be a slow burn but the record company is really you know, they're excited, so dates are coming together. That's fantastic. Uh, so this will sort of be the rest of the year for you, and then uh, any any plans to work with anybody else or back with Stephen Wilson or any of those guys? You know, um, Steve's working on a new solo record for himself that he's going to record in 2014 and tour in 2015. So my plan is to, you know, tour as much as I can on the back of this record um, while I'm writing another record and maybe try and get another one out in, in 2015 and then see what 2016 holds, you know. Um, we're leaving that time open. Maybe Stephen will come back and want to do something with Porcupine Tree. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll do another solo record. It's, it's all up in the air, you know. He yeah. has said, don't dismiss Porcupine Tree. It's not over. Right. He said, I'm just not in tune with it right now. I get it, man. You know, and you know, on the day that Steven decides he's tuned into that thing is when it will come back. You know, but certainly not before 2016. Right. All right. Well, cool. At least, he's, <laughs> at least he says it's not over. I always like to find out what you know. What are you listening to these days? Um, you know, are you are you into any new bands or what, what do you what do you look at? Oh, um, there was a band on the boat that I really liked. A band called Beardfish. Yeah, they got a lot of pull really? on there. Yeah. I really, you know, I toured with those guys, and I really dug that. Another, you know, I, I go through so many genres. I'm a huge Patty Griffin fan. Patty Griffiths. I always forget. Griffin, Griffiths. Griffin. Patty Griffin. And um, lately I've been listening to, to the latest government record a lot. Uh, there's a new Jeff Beck record coming out that I'm totally excited about. Um Shearwater is probably one of my, uh, it's the CD that's in my truck now. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with no, Shearwater that, that, at all. I haven't heard of them, no. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll check it out. Fantastic progressive band. Um, again, with less about chops and more about just amazing songwriting and great vocal performances and good textures. They're one of Steve's. It was actually Steve Wilson that turned me on to them. 
S H E A R water, Shearwater. Right. Uh, yeah, the Progressive Offense. That's a band they need to they need to dial into. Cool, we'll do. Thanks for the connection. Sure. Sounds yeah, good. that's the biggest one right now. So. Cool, man. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm sorry we didn't get to connect on the boat. That would have been cool. But, yeah, um, I just said hi, man. And you know what? I'm going to be doing some shows in Tampa and probably down there in Miami over the next uh, few weeks. Come on out to a gig and, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, man. Hi, you know. Well, I, I wish you good luck with the record. I'm a big fan of yours and, and all your, your, Thank your you. work. And, uh, I really appreciate the time. And uh, thanks a lot, man. Hopefully we'll connect soon. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Thanks to John for the interview. We're going to close with the title track off his album, Disconnect. For more information and upcoming interviews, please check theprogreport.com. Thanks. Okay.